Hey book friends, this is Corey. Thanks for listening along as we have a book club of two over a cup of tea. Our goal is to explore beloved genres as well as push ourselves out of our comfort zone and explore genres we might typically overlook or avoid. In each episode, we discuss a randomly selected genre. We will be sharing our reading experience and a brief review of the books we recommended to each other from the previous episode. Also a heads up, so that we can have a rich and in-depth conversation or maybe spoilers about the books we are discussing. All right, let's get started. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 7. We are now moving on to our next genre, and so for the month of April. Whoa. Bum, bum, bum. When we're only in February. That's a bit of a mind bender. Yeah. Anyways, our genre for April is historical fiction, which was Carrie's pick, but I co-signed it because I love me some historical fiction. Me too. All right. So, what's going on with you? Not a whole lot. Oh my gosh, I have the best story about our, that actually ties into the book we're going to talk about. Oh, really? You ready for it? Yes. Last weekend... I busted someone who shoplifted <gasps> a copy of The Tattooist of Ashwood. Are you serious? I am dead serious. Wow. Yep. So, kind of a funny story. I'll try and tell it quickly. But, first, a first shoplifter I busted. So, I had the dr- adrenaline going. Um, but there was these, I say kids, and I mean like teenagers, mm-hmm. like hanging out in the store. And I look over, and so the Tattooist of Auschwitz has been on the indie top indie list for a while now, so it's up kind of by the front where we have like this display of all like the top-selling books. Mm-hmm. And she's sitting on that little, you know how there's like that raised area by the windows? Yeah. So she's sitting there with the book, and she has, and it's a paperback, and she has the front cover literally bent around to the back. And I was like, what are you doing? doing <laughs> so i start and, and and so i start hovering because i'm like well first i went and asked my coworker. i was like did you sell that girl this book and she said no and i said okay so when i walked back over there she had stopped bending the cover but then i was like debating i was like should i say something to her should i see if she does it again and if she does then say something mm-hmm. to her so i'm just kind of like hovering looking busy doing nothing really but kind of just spying on them and um so at a certain point, like after a few minutes, she stands up and I thought I heard her say, I think I'm just going to buy this book. And at that point I was kind of like, okay, well, if she's going to buy the book, I'm just going to go on about my business. Right. And then two seconds later, I look around and they had like jetted out of the store like that. And I was like, I'm making a what just happened look. So I run over to the bookcase and I count how many books are there and then I run to the back register because the other register was occupied because we were super freaking busy. And sure enough, there was only three on the bookcase. There was supposed to be four. And so then I'm heading back up because I was going to go out on the street and see if I could see them. And the rest, they had abandoned part of their group of friends. And so there's this guy standing outside the door kind of looking around really, and girl looking really confused. And they're like on their cell phone. And I was like, hey, I was like, are you with those kids that were just sitting right there? And he was like, yes. And I was like, your friends just stole a book. I was like, if they don't return it in the next couple of minutes, I'm calling the cops. And they were like, Ugh. <laughs> so I go back in. This is like the only thing that was, I wouldn't say it was a mistake. I mean, but you know, again, we were busy. So I went to the back again to wait on a customer, like check them out. And, um, and so while I'm checking out this customer, 
they all come trooping into the back and the girl comes up and stands in front of me <laughs> and she goes, I hear you think I stole a book. And I said, yeah, I said, we are missing a copy of the tattooist of Auschwitz. And she's like, oh no, no, I put that back. And I said, okay, well, let's just go up front and look. And so I went up there and it was magically back with its bent cover, which is why I know it wasn't there before. Right. And so I was like, and she's like, see, it's here. And I said, huh, that's interesting. That wasn't there before. Okay, thanks. And they left. And Were they like teenagers? Mm-hmm. Oh. So, you know, it was one of those things where, A, I didn't say which person I thought had stolen the book. Right. B, if they were going to be smart shoplifters returning stuff, they should have just like set it by where they were sitting. They shouldn't right. put it back exactly where it goes. Right. Because then they could be like, oh, well, you must have just not seen it sitting over here. Right. Don't put it back where it belongs when I clearly know there's a copy missing. Right. So the, the clincher. So when I got it there on a Monday, um, you know, we have surveillance cameras. Mm -hmm. And so Lisa and I sat there and we watched. And sure enough, when like the six of them trooped back in, the very last person leaned over set something on the shelf and then kept on going to the back with the group and I was like vindicated yes <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like that's bad karma to steal a book about I concentration know. camps why that would you weird. even do that yeah, yeah I can't even imagine anyways so there's my story wow. about the tattooist of Auschwitz how about that yeah so tea. um tea and eats. Um, so, so first things first, I actually was, well, this is kind of a cop out, but also I felt kind of weird, like making something for a book that's about concentration camps where people were starving and being like, mm, look at what we're eating. This is so good. <laughs> but then, um, after about five weeks of not having a working oven, we finally got a new range last week, which is a whole nother kettle of fish we won't go into. So Robert decided he wanted to break in the, the, um, stove the oven today and he made scones blueberry scones and so we had some leftover and so that is our baked good today courtesy mm -hmm. of the lovely robert and with some lemon curd and whatnot and uh if i remember i'll throw the recipe in there um just ask robert for it just yeah i'll have to i'll have to make sure robert's okay with that Make sure he leaves out an ingredient so it doesn't taste like his. <laughs> That's what I do. Yes, we've had this conversation. Yeah. And then I picked um, a tea for my Sips Buy box, um, and it's by Harney & Sons, which is kind of a classic English tea company, and it's an organic, awesome. And I, through all my tea adventures with Curie and just on my own, have found that this is actually probably my favorite type of black tea. Really? Yep. Just Why? kind of like a basic black tea. Because it kind of has these like... Um, let me take a sip and see if I can articulate a little better. It has these like honeyed... Uh, like it has like kind of that bitterness that I like that I like in coffee. So, But it's kind of tangy. But there's also then like this honey like aftertaste to her caramel aftertaste. Mm. Do you get that? I put cream in mine. So that changes it. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I like mine black like my soul. I mean, it's definitely bitter. Mm-hmm. It's the final notes for me. Like, the best way I can say it, it just, it almost tastes like it has this touch of honey in it. I think I'm missing out on that because I have French vanilla nut pods in it. <laughs> so it tastes like vanilla. Okay. Well, it's definitely, though, and I think this is what they, when I did my research a long time ago, 
Um, this is one of the primary types of black tea that they'll put in, like, in English breakfast. Like, that's mm -hmm. usually a blend, but mm -hmm. I think one of the main ones is awesome, which I think is how it's supposed to be pronounced. Awesome! Awesome is awesome. Awesome! Anywho, I think it comes from India, too. There you go. Your tea lesson for today. <laughs> so I'm a fan. We will, of course, put yeah. stuff in the show notes. Um, you're always welcome to you click through and get $5 off your first box with Sips Buy. And I'm telling you, I love it because I say this every time, but I'm going to say it again because, you know, eventually someone will take, up, take us up on it. Um, I love that you can review the teas and then based on your reviews, they make adjustments to what they send to you. And I mean, you know, it's always hard when you are looking at like the gigantic box of tea in the grocery store and you're like, do I really want to commit to this? Right. Do I want to commit to the 16 packages of tea that I've never tasted before? Exactly. So with this, you get about f three to four servings of tea. Mm -hmm. So if you don't like it, you don't feel like you're wasting your time and you can tell them that and they won't send you anything like that again. Right. Yeah. And if you love it, they'll send you other similar things. And you always have a, dis they always provide discount codes too for the teas that they send to you. So if you're like, like this one, I could be like... 20% off a package of um, Harney and Sons. So That's where the London Victoria fog comes from. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm a big Sips by fan. I was going to cancel my membership, but then I was like, you know, it's only $15 and both Robert and I really enjoy getting it and exploring new teas every month. So yeah. that's pretty small potatoes for getting to, I feel like it's really expanded my, um, tea vocabulary and my and like just like trying things out like mm -hmm. things that I would probably because I sometimes end up with things that I would never pick up in a million years right. or that are not available in the store so I definitely feel like I've gotten exposed to a wide variety of tea companies and um yeah and Sip Spy loves us on Instagram and they follow they us do. and they comment so thank you Sip Spy yes we love you too enough about tea book time book time so mm -hmm. my book the Tattooist of Auschwitz by Heather Morris, I think is her name. That yep. sounds right. Is a story about a Slovakian Jew. Who oh, that's right, Slovakian. Gets, yeah. Who volunteers himself to... That was so wily of the Germans to be like, you must volunteer a child or we'll take all of you. Right. I was yeah. like, oh, man, you all are such bastards. Yeah. I so... mean, we already knew that, but that was just like even... A higher level of bastardness. Yeah. But this guy, like, dressed in his finest. He brought with books. books with him. Um, some money. He was really unsure of where they were going. He was in a normal train. And then he got put into a... Cattle train. Cattle train with, you know, hundreds of other men with one bucket of feces. Um, so it follows... I'm not going to say his name right. Um, what is it? It's... I forget his name. Sokolov? Sokolov. That sounds right. Is that um, his first name? Or is that his last name? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we don't have our book or our desk because we had to return it. Yeah, it's very oh, popular. Lolly. So his <laughs> real name uh -huh. is Lolly, but she gave him a different name. Okay. Let me find it. We're just finding out that... um. There's a whole bunch of uh, controversy with this book. Um, oh, shucks. I... Yeah, that's not important. Whatever. 
So it follows the main guy. We'll just call around. him the. We'll just call him the tattooist. Yeah. The How about tattooist. that? He becomes the tattooist, which kind of gives him some sort of prestige. Oh yeah, he has like free. Auschwitz yeah, he has like free free reign of the camp, pretty yeah. much. He has his own private room. He has extra meals. He gets treated somewhat respectfully. Except by the creepy doctor. Yeah, the doctor is weird. Which we already knew that. Because yeah. those are like the doctors from like the lilac girls. Yeah. The ones that like take twins and do experiments on them to see what makes them a twin. Anyway, um, And so he is the tattooist and he meets a girl and they don't speak and because she's kind of timid and scared and he tries to tattoo her number very gently because he is just awestruck with her mm-hmm. and her name is Gita Gita and he, but he didn't know that at the time he no, didn't know he her name for a while ask his guard that he's always with to figure mm. out who the girl was that was a messed up relationship P.S. yeah there's a lot of messed up relationships in this book well the whole so, situation's messed up <clears throat> it goes I think it's about five years that this story spans um <sighs> Yeah. Like from the very beginning of Auschwitz and uh, to the to when the Russians come in and release them and right yeah I mean it pretty much goes from like the start of Auschwitz to the end yeah. so whenever that they started sending people there to when basically the Germans lost the war yeah yeah although they'll probably never admit that anyway um it, and then it they get freed. Gita goes off, she escapes the line because they don't know where they're going, and she finds a family that's willing to take her in for a little bit, but then the Russians come, and there's... They're creepy. Yeah, it's a bunch of creepy, and then the tattooist gets taken in by Russian army people. Because he... So part of why... Part of why he, um he got his original job and then why he was desirable to the Russians is he speaks multiple languages. Yeah, I think like 12 or something absurd. He speaks like Italian. He speaks German. He speaks Polish. He, spree- he speaks, um, Russian, Russian. He speaks English. So yeah, like four or five languages yeah. he can speak pretty fluently. And- yeah. Cause he's like an intelligent, like he has had an education, like his mm-hmm. family is not wealthy, but they are, Mm-hmm. They're prestigious. They're. Yeah. I mean, he came into Auschwitz with a fucking suit on. So right. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. And so he works for the Russians for a little bit to gather girls in this little town for them. He's to a pimp. Come. Yeah. <laughs> but he like gets to sleep in a really fancy bed, and there's a <laughs> chef. Like there was kind of like some exciting yeah. points of like, man, he's spent the past six or seven years in this camp mm-hmm. thinking that he's going to die every single day, and now he's like living a life of luxury for and the Russians. He, and then he was pretty wily about how he escaped. Like, yeah. like if that was true, I was like, that was a pretty smart plan. Right. I, so, <laughs> and then they find Gita and the tattooist find each other. And ride off into the sunset in a horse and carriage and live happily ever after. They moved to Australia. Australia. Yeah. um, To get away and have a son. Yeah. Um, So I don't think I realized until the very end that it was based on a true story. So I will say one of the parts that I like best was actually the end when when the author talked about meeting um, Mm. him and interviewing him and becoming friends with him and like the pictures of them and all Mm. of that. Honestly, that might have been my favorite part of the book. Because it's a happy ending. Yeah, I guess so. I so I kind of struggled with this one. I didn't dislike it. I mean, so I was so I was trying to parse out what were my what were my problems with it, and I think maybe this, I hate to say this because this sounds like it. 
I feel like there's been too many books about World War II lately. And I hate to say that oh. because it's a topic that I think, you know, we, we need to keep looking at what happened and, and processing through that. But I feel... So so here's my challenge. And again, this is because I work in the book industry and I probably have four more books floating around here that are World War II focused, okay? Gotcha. I think that in general, after the Nightingale and um, mm. what was the that other... Was a long time ago. And what was the other one that was really popular? The Light... The uh, Light at the End of the Tunnel? No. Or The Light at the End of the Sea? No. The one that's set in France with the blind girl... Anyways, that other really popular one that I'm drawing oh, by Anthony Doerr. What is that book called? Anyways, it has light in its title. It was good. They yeah. were both All really, the light we cannot see. All the light we cannot see. I feel like, yes, it's still a story that needs to be told in different angles. But then it's like, it's like, it's trendy. And I'm like, and I, in some ways that kind of bothers me. It's like, I don't know if it's trendy. I think there's this realization that people that survived Auschwitz are slowly dying. Like we're reaching that end point of mm -hmm. we're going to lose these stories. And I have heard that before yeah. as well. So again, I just, I guess the jaded side of me is like, are people writing about it because it's still, they see it as important or because they're trying to make money off of it? Well, I think both. Okay. I mean, I, mean, I guess, I mean, I guess if you're, if you're writing and selling a book, yes, your end game is to make if money. If you're a historian, I think you're doing it because you actually are interested mm -hmm. in the history of it. Mm -hmm. But I think as soon as you tie it into a fiction piece or a yeah. book that's a little bit more mm -hmm. romanticized, I think you're doing it for money and because you have somewhat of an interest in it. Yeah. I and mean, I would totally write a story about mm -hmm. something that happens that I am interested in sure. with the knowledge or with the hope of obtaining some money from it, but yeah. not letting that taint my desire of learning. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that was Heather Morris's Right. She goal. did a Kickstarter for this book. Right. Well, and it started, so the thing that I think, and so I think this is actually probably why the book sometimes is a little problematic for me is that she initially wrote it as a screenplay. screenplay yeah. And I think that the writing style still reflects that a little bit. Yeah. It was a little rat-a-tat-tat. -tat, yeah. Which made it read really fast. Mm -hmm. It was an easy read. Yeah, I read it, I think, in a day or two. Uh, yeah, I probably read it in two, two three days. Um, probably could have read it in one if I had the time. But it also sometimes, and maybe this is because of her interviewing him so after the fact, mm -hmm. the best way I could describe it is sometimes it felt a little out of time. In like word choices and the way it was written. Oh yeah, I'm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think this is her first book. Okay. And I think people that are not experienced with keeping to the actual historical part of historical fiction, they tend mm -hmm. to put in their vocabulary. Because there was like a point where, like, I think uh, our, our tattooist friend is like, "I'm going to go take a piss," and I'm like. Really? Is that how they would have talked in 1940s, like right. an educated Jew? Uh, maybe. I don't know. But it felt very like crass, crass and yeah. modern. And I was like, I just don't, I, I don't buy that that's how he would talk. Yeah. So there was moments like that where that would distract me. Right. Um, I also feel like I don't necessarily believe the bribing aspect of this book. So oh, right. the tattooist mm -hmm. became friends with a, a, a man, builder, yeah, a local man, a local village man, and then they decided to start trading. So mm -hmm. there, it was like a triangle of the girls that had to go through people's clothes when they got to Auschwitz would hide gems and monies to give to the tattooist, who would then 
give that stuff to the builder in order for him to bring back chocolate or food, food or, or medicine, medicine, penicillin. Um, and I just, and then bribing the guard, the female guard mm-hmm. of the house of Gita's So he could box, go make so whoopee could, with her? Yeah, like, I just, I feel like that guard probably could get access to chocolate if she wanted it. Like, right. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that is something that really happened. Mm-hmm. I'm sure trading did happen, but for things like chocolate and things mm-hmm. that somebody who is not actually imprisoned could probably just go to the town and buy yeah. is a little off-putting to me. Like, that was kind of my first mm-hmm. red flag of, like, you're giving her a chocolate bar? <laughs> she could just go get a chocolate bar. Yeah. Well, and I think even, and, you know, good for them if they were vigorous enough to engage in uh, some, sexy time. some sexy time. Yeah. But I'm skeptical of that as well, honestly. Yeah. Like, I'm just thinking about when you don't feel good, what do you... Uh, do not touch me. Right. Yeah. And like, so you're talking about people that are starving, right? Who are being physically and mentally abused. Yeah. Is sex going to be the first thing on your mind? I mean, I could see maybe wanting human contact, like right. cuddling, a hold, kissing, lying together. But you know, sexy time can be kind of aerobic. And do you really have the energy to to do that? And I don't even know if it feel very good. I don't know. If... Well, yeah, especially like with Gita because she's like lost weight and she's sick. Yeah, she hasn't had her period in months. Like, which I mean, was a common theme, I think. Well, sure, because she was starving. There, but I'm just holy thinking, moly! I'm like, just I don't about... want anybody to touch me when Ooh. I'm feeling yeah, even like remotely constipated or irritated. Yep. So I, I don't know. I and again, uh, you know. If they did, if that's true. I mean, either way, it doesn't really matter, but I just found that hard to buy. Yeah. I could see, like, wanting the, the you know, the touching and the, and the you know, feeling something. Mm-hmm. But I just, I'm like, I just don't know that. They, and I just don't buy that they would have, that they could get away with, like, being by themselves. And yeah, I don't know. Have there, you been to the Holocaust Museum in D.C.? I have not. Um, I've been to the Holocaust Museum in Dallas, which is smaller, but pretty powerful um i have been oh no wait that's the vietnam memorial um have i been to them no i don't think i've been to the holocaust museum in dc i don't know why i should oh my gosh i really should go um it's an interesting like i find world war ii interesting mm -hmm. because i don't understand how a group of people can be so vicious to another group of people for no reason yeah. Like to me, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking baffling. about it. It just and it turns my stomach. My heart, like mm-hmm. going to the Holocaust Museum in DC. I was 23, mm-hmm. and I cried the entire time. Like mm. oh. from as soon as I walked in to mm-hmm. walking through one of those cattle grates, and then at the end, you walk through this hallway, and there are just pictures of the Jewish people that were in <sighs> that were captured and murdered and basically walking it smells skeleton. like burnt clothes because they have all their <sighs> clothes and shoes there there's like a glass container filled with glasses there's a glass <sighs> container filled with teeth and you know i'm from flagstaff and i have lived a pretty sheltered life i have a bunch of baggage from my own life but I grew up in a family that was like, you treat everybody with respect regardless mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. they look like, what they believe in. Like, we are all humans at our mm-hmm. core. Mm-hmm. And, like, I 
did not sleep after I went to that museum and it just kind of broke my heart in a mm-hmm. way that I don't think can ever be mended. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to Chris, I really want to go to Poland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, you know, I'd really like to not to be creepy or no, to no, like, no, 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 no. but I do want to go mm-hmm. to concentration camps to kind of see and experience that pain and to work. Like I just, so my, my recommendation, uh-huh. um, so, you know, one of my best friends, Allie, um, when we were both working at SMU, one of the professors, his name is escaping me right now, but he, um, well, he used to be like the president of like Amnesty, Amnesty International. He's like a world renowned, like peace studies professor. Mm-hmm. And so every winter he would take a group of students to, um, a different concentration camp mm-hmm. in Europe. Um, Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it was in France, sometimes it was in Poland. I mean, all over the place. Yeah. And he deliberately did it in the winter time because he mm-hmm. wanted the students to experience the cold, the cold yeah. and realize like this is what people were living through while yeah. they were living in rags. And yeah. I never got to go, but Allie went on several trips, and I know they were very powerful. And you know, her husband's and her husband's family is Jewish, so she has pretty strong ties to that mm-hmm. religion. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, so I don't think that's weird or morbid. I mean, I think it's one of those things until, I mean, I, I would like to experience it just cause I feel like, again, you know, we watch the movies and we read the right. books and we read about it and yeah. go to museums. But right. I think being there in that space right. with all those ghosts is probably a very, very powerful and different experience. Yeah. I view it as I... So I like to know things. I don't know if you remember, but when Nan died, I got really into, like, figuring out, like, what makes it so that somebody just has a random aneurysm blow mm-hmm. How long does it take for a body to get cremated? Why? What is the process? Like, mm-hmm. I want to know things because it helps me process them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I view this. Of Like, I will never know mm-hmm. what that was like. I will yeah. never know the experience. But I want to see it and mm-hmm. try and get a very small level of understanding and because I have family that is Jewish and I have friends that are Mm -hmm. Jewish and, um, I, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's a very sad book. The whole situation is sad. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, and that's why when I said earlier, like, I don't want to be dismissive and be like, yep, we have enough books about World War II and the Holocaust. Like, that's not my point. I just, I feel like there's been this big rush of it in the last 10 years and but I think you know like you said earlier I think you're right I think we are also starting to realize that um you know the survivors of those experiences that you know they're in their 90s and and minimum I mean maybe at their 80s if they were children and they survived yeah I mean the children rate was not very good but those stories are are gonna go those first person stories are gonna eventually go away yeah and and, and this you know, is what it's supposed to be. I mean, Heather Morris claims that she interviewed the tattooist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think... Cl- I would say she definitely... I mean, she said he became a friend. Right. And then she's as friends with his son, I think. And mm-hmm. he has, like, an excerpt at the mm-hmm. end of the book as yeah. well. Um, but, you know, as an mm-hmm. author, I'm sure she took liberties with yeah. the storyline. And that's what the mm-hmm. controversy is about, is that... The Holocaust Museum and their publication are show, telling are telling us that her facts are not right. Like mm-hmm. 
the train route was not correct to get to the camp, that they wouldn't pass through certain cities, but she probably got that from doing a Google search now and seeing that there's connections. Mm -hmm. Um, The relationship is true, but they had different names. Like, they were known in the concentration camps by different names. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gita's number was wrong. And who knows? Maybe that was intentional. Yeah. I mean... You know, maybe that was a little bit of privacy or something. It is historical fiction. So, like, yes, it it is about a historical fact, but the author has taken fictional liberties with the story. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, unless you're really into... uh, concentration camps in World War II, you don't necessarily want to read a 300-page book of how horrible it was. Like, mm-hmm. you want to have those glimmers of hope if you're looking for a book for escapism or something mm-hmm. that is yeah true but has a good ending or is kind of like a love fest in the middle of a really <laughs> shitty situation. Right. Well, you make, a, you make a really good point because I, I think... So I was a history major, you know, in college... But I'm not necessarily one that will head over to the American... You know, I won't head over to the history section Mm -hmm. and pick up that for reading for fun, in quotes, or just for, you know, whatever, entertainment or interests. Occasionally I will, I mean, but for me, reading typically is more of something for joy and escape. Yeah. And, um... And so I think I've concluded that's one of the reasons I am often drawn to historical fiction because Mm -hmm. I like historical stories, but I find that, I think I've even said this on here before, but I like having actual characters and people, you know, you know, even if they're made up, but woven into a real life historical event, Mm -hmm. um, because it's more entertaining and relatable and easier to read. But as I'm sitting here thinking, I'm also like, is that also a bit of a cop out? Like. You know, yes, we both said we plowed through this in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. It was easy, for better or for worse, mm-hmm. to read. So what does that say, right? Like, how would we feel if we... I mean, and even knowing that this is a true story, but that there were some liberties taken, if we were reading a book of history about the experiences of the Auschwitz concentration camp, mm-hmm. what would our reading experience look like? How right. would we feel after we read that? Right. Do you see what so I mean? So, like, we're making light of a book, of a historical event because not it's... Even, not even making light of it, but we're, like, opting for the light version right. of it. The easy, the, the, the palatable one where we can distance ourselves a little bit because yeah. we're like, oh, this is historical fiction. So right. it's based in fact, but I think, I, I just wonder if maybe even subconsciously if sometimes with, especially with oh. these t- harder topics if that's why historical fiction becomes really popular because we can learn about really tough points in history but with fictional characters so then it still doesn't feel quite real yeah i i would have to say i do like history books if they're written well like oh sure role with uh the queen henry the eighth and the tudors and Uh like the war against roses like very dense historical books mm-hmm. and we don't really actually know what they said like we don't know what king henry said so why are, i mean i feel like all history <laughs> it's still interpretation. is a story yeah. of a story um but i don't know i mean maybe i could if it was written well read a full-blown historical non-fiction piece about mm-hmm. the concentration camps but at the same time like 
as an empath, it is so overwhelming sometimes to see the stories online or read a book or know that this actually happened and that humans are able to do this to each other simply because of a difference in belief. I mean, that's kind of how I feel sometimes with the current political <laughs> situation of I don't understand how people can be so mean to people who have literally done nothing to them. But regardless, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a hard pill to swallow. Like, I think all of us want to think that we do good in the world. Mm -hmm. But then you have these glimmers of horrible genocide. I mean, right and this one isn't even the biggest genocide. Which one? Isn't there one in... Um... Well, there's the Darfur genocide. I mean, there's... I mean... I mean, We've done this for all of history. Right, say, like, geno for, um, for, yeah, genocide is, like, genocide's probably happening as we, not probably, is happening somewhere yeah. as we speak. The Syrians, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's non-stop. I mean, we just, you're... Yeah, it just gets so sad. I just don't understand. <sighs> oh, I know. I know. Well, and I think, you know, it's interesting because I'm also thinking... I'm more likely to cry like at a movie or a TV show because I think I my empathic bits um, click in more like visually. Visually, mm -hmm. so I you know a lot of times people are like oh I stopped through this book and I'm like oh yeah that was sad, but I rarely cry. I mean there's sometimes where I've like had like it's been like a I think five because you can see the face. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I'm thinking about like Schindler's List mm -hmm. is what I'm thinking of. Um, you I haven't know. seen that movie. Oh my gosh. I haven't seen a lot of movies. Let's not play this game. Okay. No, I'm going to say, it, I, I hate to say, oh my God, it's so good. I mean, it's, it's a really well done and powerful movie. That's how I'll put it. Yeah. Um, but towards the end, so Schindler was a, um, he was like a manufacturer. He was like a German manufacturist and he basically started, he came, like he had like this moment where he was like, this is wrong. And he started using his power and his white Germanness to save people. Mm -hmm. And then after the war was over, he like has this big breakdown and he's like, I should have done more. I could have saved more. I should have tried harder. And he's just like, and you're just like, <laughs> it's like the girl in the green jacket. It's, um, I've not heard of that. It's an old movie about, okay. um, hiding Jews in the tunnel system okay. in uh, Berlin. Uh, and there's a girl in a green jacket. And okay. Like, but similar but, thing of like this man yep. who didn't necessarily like Jews or not like Jews decided like, oh, it's mm -hmm. kind of effed up what's happening. So I'm going to hide them in a tunnel system. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, everyone else is celebrating him and he's just like berating himself for not right. doing more. And you're yeah. just like, <laughs> you know, so I ball my eyes out every time that happens. But... Yeah, I don't know. I just think I guess, I guess I'm able to create some emotional distance when I read a book versus... Yeah. I mean, because there's certainly movies that I've wanted to watch. Like, I've never seen Saving Private Ryan because I've heard it's so intense mm -hmm. and violent. And, like, it's, again, well-made, really great movie. Mm -hmm. I've never been in the right headspace to sit and watch that. Right. Similarly, there's one about Darfur that I'm drawing a blank on. But I think sometimes it's easier for me to do it as a book because I can kind of control where my imagination goes. Yeah. You can like block out people's, like you don't have the visual connection of a person because you're just reading about it instead of mm -hmm. seeing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Get the same way. Which is maybe why I like reading so much because I am able to kind of create those emotional barriers for myself. Otherwise I'd probably be a hot mess all the time and maybe wouldn't read so much. I'm always a high mess, but that doesn't mean you don't love me any less. 
<laughs> Kiri is Pixie, Pixie just loves Kiri so much and she's like get off of me you little mutt so so that was her she wasn't talking to me in case you wondered why Kiri made that really funny high pitched voice because this is how we talk to little puppies <laughs> oh man so yeah I mean so would I don't know would you recommend it to someone else I would but now I kind of feel like torn with the controversy thing mm-hmm. but I also like I find that you can't criticize somebody too much when they put fiction in their well, book. Well, exactly. I mean, like if it if that is a genre of historical fiction, of course it's going to be well, fabricated. Then, a sure. Bit. And I'm sure if we went back and looked at the book, there's probably some disclaimer about some liberties being taken with names and events. <laughs> You're looking right now. The major point of concern raised in the report is the sexual relationship described in the book between the head of the camp, SS Obstruner uh, Forge, Schwarzberg, Schwarzhuber, and, that... and the Jewish female prisoner, Silka. Okay. In practice, the report says the possibility of maintaining such a long relationship, and according to the book, a semi-explicit relationship between a Jewish female prisoner and a high-ranking member of the SS hierarchy was non-existent. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, if that's a liberty she took to right. move her storyline forward... Yeah. But, you know, so that's the thing. Like, I think... I think I took it, I, I guess I read it assuming that there was probably some liberties taken to protect some people's privacy. Memory changes over time. They were in really intense conditions. So I'm right. sure even, you know, so even if, so going back to what you said earlier, even if this was just a historical memoir mm-hmm. of this person's life as she, he had a screen of 60-ish years mm-hmm. To filter through his memories, his experiences, right. trauma, hello. Right. Uh, so it's never going to be 100% accurate, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah. I guess, uh, so a spokesperson for her publisher told The Guardian, The Tattooist of Auschwitz is a novel based on the personal recollections and experiences of one man. It is not and has never claimed to be an official history. Mm -hmm. If it inspires people to engage with the terrible events of the Holocaust more deeply, then it will have achieved everything that Lael himself wished for. Okay. And then the response was, if this could be a complete fictional story, we could say that the author does not know much about the history of Auschwitz. This book, however, tells a story of a real person, his real tragic experiences, and this puts much more responsibility on a person who tells the story to the world. Hmm. Interesting. A number of different errors in the book, not only in simple basic facts, but also in the depiction of the reality of Auschwitz, can sometimes create more confusion than understanding. It Hmm. turns a real story into an interpretation very moving and emotional that however blurs the authenticity of his of this true experience we believe that the survivor's story deserved better hmm. and it'll be interesting to see if his son says anything right because i think he he blessed that story he did i think so he read it yeah. he read it yeah. so he was okay with it the yeah. way it was i mean he can't speak now but right how oh, interesting i can see both sides of it see i'm such a i'm the- such a fence sitter i'm like you were like the perfect <gasps> calm, and I'm trying to get there, but sometimes I go super far to the left. And I'm like, here, keep it in check. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I... I think it's uh, certainly a valuable story to tell. I think... I think, you know, I, I would... I guess I would recommend it with reservations. 
I would uh, that you know I would say there's definitely some historical inaccuracies. Right. There's some of the writing style that seemed a little off for right. that time period, but the story itself is an interesting story, and it's another, you know, it's another perspective and another you know another lens through which this really horrible event in our history happened. Yeah, I think with like the nightingale and the light, all the light we cannot see. Mm-hmm. Those were totally made totally up. Totally made up. I mean, certainly some of the like the actual historical events and battles were accurate, right. but the story itself was completely just dreamed up. And not and well again, like there was definitely women spies and whatnot, but right. it wasn't based on any one specific person. Yeah. And right. they were completely different. Like they were not real So I understand like your comment about that there's been a lot of World War II books coming out, especially mm-hmm. in the fiction realm, but I think they're all so vastly different. Like the they are. Nightingale was mm-hmm. like Com- it's 100% different than sure. the tattooist of Auschwitz and mm-hmm. all the light we cannot see was jeez yeah. yeah. um, it was completely in fictionized yeah. but yeah. it's complete. It's a different perspective it's, different. it's based yeah. in France it's with France, mm-hmm. French people yeah. a blind girl <laughs> <laughs> well and, and stop it and, sorry <laughs> stop it Corey stop it <laughs> I'm just um, Coco wants to bite me pixie Pixie. Anyways, yeah, she likes to bite. She's a land shark, we say. Um, well, and as I alluded to, I certainly, even as I offer that critique, I have two, at least two books sitting in my piles here. One that just came out called The Lost Girls of Paris. Oh, I have that book. I won it. Oh, or no, good. you gave it to me. Oh, maybe I had two copies. You gave it to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I probably had two it's copies. It's by Lisa Kelly. Oh, no, no. That's, oh, no, no, no. That's the... Um, the Rose Girls or something. Oh. So, yeah, I do want that one back. You do have my only okay. copy of that. Um, <laughs> but that's that's not about World War II, but it's a precursor to the Lilac like Girls. Rose. Yeah, okay, sorry. Um, no, The Lost Girls of Paris is about... It's again, it's about... Um, no, I have that book, too. Are you sure? By I want it off a good read. Okay, by Pam Genoff? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So that one sounds really interesting, because, yeah. again, it's like this alternate, like... This whole true, you know, it's based in fact, mm-hmm. a mysterious group of women spies that right. no one knew about, and I think most of them disappeared. Yeah. Um, I have another one that's I think set in, so it's actually set in Texas, but it's about um, I think it's about a woman football coach, like when all the men went to war, you know. So I mean, so there's mm-hmm. some different little pockets. I have another one that's about uh, the Japanese internment camps in the United States. Mm-hmm. So again, Did mul- you read that. Mm, no, you're thinking of the Hotel of Corner Bitter and Sweet. This is a different one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, we read too many books. I can't keep up. I know, right? It's so prestigious. Yeah. So blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and there's been, I mean, Sarah's Key is amazing, you know. Holy shit. And God. wrecked me, wrecked me so hard. But they, they, didn't they make that into a movie? It was a terrible movie. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, don't watch it. it. The book was um, gut-wrenching. Yeah. Fucking little boy. Like, Ugh. oh my God, killed me. Yeah. But so Come good. On. You know, and a very creative interpretation with the modern and the past. Right. And, you know, and I think, again, that's one of those stories that needed to be told was yeah. the story of the French Jews and getting yeah. rounded up and locked up by their own mm-hmm. compatriots. And, yeah. you know, and I, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Got I guess right. I just circled around and saying, yes, I guess we need these stories. But, yeah, um, yeah I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> I would I'm, recommend this book. I, I, With the caveat of fiction mm-hmm. is in the mm-hmm. title of the genre. So be mindful that yep. it's not going to be 100% mm-hmm. history. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, she's a, a, a first-time author. Right. So 
the writing could have used some work, I think. Yeah. But it wasn't bad. I mean, you know. There were not that many typos. I didn't notice any typos, but... Um, I notice all of them, usually. I usually notice quite a few. I get so irritated when somebody, <laughs> like, who publishes in Penguin has a typo, and I'm like, how is that possible? I know. You can hire me, and I will do a better job. <laughs> you know, I, thank you. I, I think I read so many advanced readers these days that oh, I yeah. just end up ignoring typos because... They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. 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 Sometimes they're really funny, and I'm like, I want to be like, I want to write them and be like, did you catch this one? <laughs> And then I'm like, stop it. They, they have some. They probably did. They probably did. they don't. Yeah. Who knows? All right. So anyway. I guess we both recommend it with yep. some. With, with some, an asterisk. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. What are we going to read next time to go with this genre, Corey? So we are reading. I had to pull it up. So give me here a second. To the Bright Edge of the World um, by, I'm going to totally mangle this. I want to say it's Ewan Ivy. And um, I've been obsessed with Alaska. And so this is a historical account of a uh, colonel in the army exploring Alaska while his new wife hangs out in the Vancouver barracks. And so they it's his letters and his diaries and it's her diary. So it's kind of, I guess, epistolary in nature in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm obsessed with Alaska. So... I'm just starting it, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Cool. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Until next time. Hey, book friends. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for listening along with us. Head over to our podcast site to share your recommendations and your opinions with us on the books we have read. That website is booksandteapodcast.com. It's also where you will find our podcast show notes with a full list of titles for the books, along with our favorite tea and what we mentioned today. If you are on any social media, feel free to stop by our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter accounts. You will find those links on our website. To be the first to hear about the next new podcast and what we are working on, make sure you are signed up to our newsletter. 